I was really bad at, you know, not calling them and saying, hey, sorry, we can't do it because of this reason. The plan to move forward so we can do this. This is your path that you need to take to get there. And I feel like I just, I dropped the ball. I didn't call them. I kind of avoided their phone calls. Basically, I went dark for a short period of time in hopes that, hey, they would call me and just say, let's cancel. So I didn't have to share the bad. I don't have to break up with you because you can break up with me first. Kind of exactly. Like. I think the kids these days call it ghosting. Yeah, that's what they call it. Right? Like, yeah. <laughs> it never happened to me. Actually, it did all the time. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, I have Salim Ali. Salim is a mortgage broker based out of Dallas, Texas. He's with Instant Mortgage and in 2020 funded 867 mortgage for $281 million, 95% refi and 5% purchase. Of course, he's had to make some adjustments since the rates have been moving. Last year, though, still funded 553 mortgages for $200 million. And a couple things we talk about is how Sal is pivoting his business towards the more purchase business because it being focused on refis, obviously that's going to go away for a while. He talks about how one of the struggles he had when he first started out was giving people bad news. And so we talk about that and then he breaks down for me how he does it today. And he talks about how focusing on a niche was extremely profitable for him. So even right at the beginning, he was very focused on having one product, one niche that they just had dialed in and that's allowed them to scale. And then we talk about sort of his expectation for interest rates over the next couple of years and sort of what he sees. Fantastic conversation with Sal. He is number 130 on the Scotsman's Guide for Mortgage Brokers. So you can check him out on there. In the Ask the Expert segment, I talked to Reuven from Deeded about how people only value things that they pay for and how this relates to your mortgage business. It's a fascinating conversation as well as a story that Reuven shares. Before we jump into this episode, I want to give a shout out to my title sponsor, Finmo. So Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application, document collection, submission platform designed for Canadian mortgage brokers and clients and borrowers. Very easy to use. It's got a great interface. It's got smart documents. It knows what your clients need to get for documents based on how they fill it out. It also has ability for them to upload documents so you can review them. It's connected to the lender spotlight so you can search all the rates and guidelines. And then when you finally do hit submit, it actually has a feature where you can see all the guidelines to make sure you're not going to waste your time sending in a deal that is not going to get through. So check them out at finmo.ca and check out this conversation I have with Sal. Hey Sal, welcome to the show. How's it going, Scott? Nice to meet you. Yeah, man. So I'd love to hear a little bit about yourself and your business. Yeah, sure. So born and raised in Dallas, Texas, went to school at the University of Texas, Austin, uh, hook and horns. I have to say that's kind of a part of the school these days. And I started off in the IT staffing business as soon as I got out of college, did it for about two years. It was great. I realized I was comfortable and confident on the phones. But then I also realized the return I was getting from that business and that company was not as good as I wanted. So one day I walked in, I up and quit. At 7 a.m., I walked into the office. I up and quit on December 1st, actually, 2013. Got out of the office. I called my older brother and literally told him what I had done. He said, okay, cool. Go home and change. Come to my office. So I got out of my suit, put on my sweats, went to his office. He put me in a small desk in the corner and gave me a list and said, hey, start calling these people. And it started just like that. That's how I entered the mortgage business. Right. You didn't need a suit. You're like, no suit now, baby. That was one main reason I was tired of that job, you know, sitting in a desk suit on for 10 hours a day. Didn't really add up for me. Right. Uh, right. Okay. I started that calling and then just took off from there. I've been in the mortgage business ever since. Okay. So I have a question. Where did the list come from? And then how long did it take you to get your first lead? The list was Dan's list of borrowers he's been trying to get in contact with, right? Back then we didn't have the trip campaigns prepared, the tech and the back end. 
to follow up with the clients automatically. Mm-hmm. They were a mixture of borrowers he's missed, a mixture of borrowers he's closed. And my role was get them back on the phone, see if they're interested in refinancing, purchasing, what have you. Got my first lead that same day, I want to say, so on and so forth. And it kept multiplying one, then three, then seven, then 10, then 11. I got the script. I understood it. And then I started just learning more and more about the product I was talking about. Was it one product specifically that you guys were focused on? At the time, it was a mixture of calling realtors to get them to send us business. And then more so VA borrowers, Veterans Affairs, only in Texas. So I was limited, right? I wasn't licensed. I couldn't talk rates. I couldn't discuss very particular details, but I was able to set up the conversation with him and Dan. But the primary focus was directly going for veterans. Okay, VA loans and only in Texas because you were only licensed in Texas or was there another reason? At the time, I was only licensed in Texas. Okay, because this is something we were chatting before we turned on the recording. So how has focusing on a niche been like helpful for you in terms of scaling and stuff? Yeah, I think one of the biggest keys to success or winning is Intel. You need to know the product you're selling. You can you know, take a range of wide products, you know, conventionals, FHA, doctor loans, construction loans, what have you. But then you're going to need to know every little detail about them. So we focused in on VA. I studied it, read through the guidelines. I understood it from conversations. When underwriters conditioned us, I called the underwriters and understood what was going on from their perspective. And I essentially mastered the product over time. Sure, it took a couple of years, but that's where we hit home, understanding that product and going after it. Because we truly believe that niches are the richest, like Bern Harnish said. Right. Okay. So 2013, you were doing VA loans. Has that changed? Has that been the consistent for the last like eight, nine years? Yeah, it took a huge bump. So 2013, we started in VA loans. Sure, we got our you know conventional purchases, what have you, once in a while from there. 2015, maybe 16, around that time frame, we met with an individual named Shashank Shikar. He was the broker of Arcus Lending. Licensed in multiple states, highly acclaimed, what have you. We showed him our operation because at that time we were closing approximately 50 files per month or so. And we wanted to just scale it. We had the marketing down. We had the process down. We didn't have the tech yet, but we had the capacity to take them on. So I stayed with VA ever since 2013 up until today. Right. Uh, The only thing that changed is he assisted us with scaling to 26 states, which obviously grew our book of business over time. So, okay, when you first met him, you're doing 50 mortgages a month. So now where are you guys at today? So like, what would last year have been like for a number of mortgages you guys funded? Last year, well, let's take it back a year before COVID. That was the biggest year, I think, for most mortgage brokers. Yeah. If you couldn't make uh, money that year, you should not even be in this business. <laughs> go, you're like, go find exactly. something else to do. So Exactly. That's where I got ranked on Scotsman Guide is number three for VA volume. So I think we were closing comfortably 80 to 100 loans a month during that COVID year. The following year, last year, closed in total 553 loans. But a primary reason as to why is Dan and I sat down, we talked, we noticed the trend where the market goes. So from VA experience, it's hot for a few years. It's not for a few years. Mm -hmm. So we've experienced that downtick and we took the hit with our capital and understand it was a learning lesson. This time around, we took the excess capital we had and we invested it in technology and growth drip campaigns, lead management systems, CRMs, our LOS got upgraded, et cetera. So the time we spent in that investment and that just building it out, of course, my volume dropped slightly. Still comfortably, you know, over 200 million, 
but that was the primary reason why we took that step back so we could slingshot forward. Okay. Yeah. You had to kind of retool. And now, so today, and it looks like you were previously like 95% refi. How mm-hmm. has that been shifting? Because of course, with rates rising and stuff, how are you guys adapting to that? Yeah. So first of all, in my opinion, when rates rise, it's not a time to panic as a mortgage broker. It's an opportunity. Every time there's movement in the market, something's out there. There's a product for you. So now it's a purchase boom. You know, builders are growing more and more. They're buying more and more land, primarily here in Texas. Our economy is just amazing for real estate. So we're planning on shifting that 95% towards the purchase volume. You know, maybe 8% through this year, what have you. But that's where our focus is going to be, all purchases. Now, the opportunity, right, as rates rise, these buyers are buying at higher rates, which will create another refi boom in two or three years from now when the rates drop. That's right. when you take advantage of that product again for our VA Earls, you know, cash outs, what have you. Basically, we just follow the flow of the market and we've been doing it for over 10 years now. So we understand the trends. In the past, we would freak out. But now we see it as, hey, this is an awesome opportunity. You just need to get your surfboard on the right wave. That's all. You know, the waves will move <laughs> over here. You exactly get your right. surfboard, you're good, man. And then the wave's going to move and you get on the next one. And the next one. And don't panic, right? Yeah, um, that's me. I'm a skier and I stay off the ice. I, I find the powder. Yeah, find the powder. Nice. Okay, so I have a question for you about failure. So can you share something that you failed at now looking back that there was a lesson in it for you? Yeah, my first two years of being in the business, I mean, I was a 24-year-old kid, you know, handling $500,000 loans, what have you, 200000 back then. I failed at giving bad news. So I would help originate mm, a loan. That's not easy. That's not always easy to do. No, I really think to be comfortable, confident in this business, you have to be good at giving bad news, unfortunately. There's countless scenarios which as to why the bad news had to be delivered, whether it stemmed from my originating, income from the borrowers changing, for VA primarily, if you're not reenlisting in three years, your income's disqualified. That's an example. I was really bad at you know not calling them and saying, hey, sorry, we can't do it because of this reason. The plan to move forward so we can do this, this is your path that you need to take to get there. And I feel like I just, I dropped the ball. I didn't call them. I kind of avoided their phone calls. Basically, I went dark for a short period of time in hopes that, hey, they would call me and just say, let's cancel. So I didn't have to share the bad. I don't have to break up with you because you can break up with me first. Kind of exactly. Like. I think the kids these days call it ghosting. Yeah, that's what they call it. <laughs> it never happened to me. Actually, it did all the time. We didn't have a cool term for it, though, back in the days when I was you know, in high school. Yeah. Um, so what I learned from that was pretty much you have to be good at giving bad news, which brings me here today. You know, we have a few pillars of our business. Number one is educating our borrowers, of course. Yeah. We want them to be fully versed in the transaction. But another one's really honesty and transparency. We have to be upfront, let them know exactly what's going on at all times. Our technology that we've invested in is a big tool to support that as well. So pillars are educate, integrity, or honesty, and then technology, that'd be the third pillar. What's the other pillars? No, so our pillars would be, you know, upfront, being transparent and honest. Another one would be educating our borrowers. Um, And the last one would really be treating them fairly. Big reason we jumped into the VA space is we saw deals that other borrowers were getting. And quite frankly, our veterans were being taken advantage of. The product. I hate that. Yeah. So, you know, back then the rate was probably three and a quarter. And we see the same scenario, but they're getting charged 375 with points on the back. And it just didn't add up. It didn't make sense. We saw these bigger banks or smaller banks, whoever it was. Honestly, I can't tell you who, but they were taking advantage of them. So what we did is we jumped in and our MO was low margin, high volume. Hey, we'll get you taken care of because we care about you. This is why we're in the space. 
they share it with their friends and family. And that's where the high volume came to support. Right. That makes sense. Okay. I want to ask you, so let's pretend I'm a VA loan and there's some issue with my file. How would you handle it now? So like, I'd love you to just think of one that you recently did. Scott, your credit sucks. It was 400. I'm just kidding. Like what, what would you say? Like, how would you, how would you do it now? So that, yeah, I'm just curious. Yeah. So first you don't always trust the underwriter when they review, unfortunately, right? They're human. They may miss something. They may misread something, miscalculate something, fat finger something, anything across the board. Right. So for example, I had a borrower who is a VA purchase and the income was in question because he is not re-enlisting and they were trying to qualify it. Mm-hmm. So I would bring it up and say, hey, borrower, just wanted to check in with you. We did have something come up. The underwriter's questioning this. You're leaving the military in July. And I had a question of what's your plan moving forward? Well, the borrower told me, hey, I enrolled in this program through the VA. I'm getting staffed into a position where I'll be working full time. And this is the salary I'll be getting. It's a program with the VA. It's called the Horizon Program. Yeah. And basically, they staff you at 100%. They provide you the offer letter, so on and so forth. Now, I got that information, and luckily, I was able to save the deal because we can qualify that income. Yeah. Other borrower at the same time, I said, hey, we can't qualify your income because you're not re-enlisting, unfortunately. But I don't just cut it off there. I kind of give them a roadmap of how to get to the end game. Say, look, when your service is over with the military, you'll be looking for a job. As soon as you get an offer letter, no contingencies, give me a call. We can use this income as soon as you get that job offer. But for now, for the guidelines, we can't move forward, but let's stay in touch. Then I move them into a nurture campaign, paying them ever so often until they're ready to go again. Right. And do you find they come back? Do you get these people back? Yeah. Yeah. I have, um, I would say about a 90% success rate of them coming right back to me. Right. When the time's right. So yeah, it's just a matter of like, you probably had to make a mindset shift, right? To be like, hey, I can't give you what you want. Because if you're service oriented, you want to serve. But sometimes you're serving is saying no. You know, it's like if you go into a pizza place and ask for sushi. Yeah. Like, can I have sushi? Uh, we don't do that here, you know, but if you want pizza, we got you. So yeah, um, and it does take time and patience. Also letting them know the moment you find out. So if you're in the right. middle of a task and you see something this important, right, it's high priority. You pick up the phone and call them right away. They're expecting your call anyways, and you need to share the information. It's not like, because I can't do it, you know, option two can it's, this is what it is. And we need to communicate this to and make sure we have a path to move forward. If not, you know, I wish you all the best. I have one of the last question on this. So do you always deliver this over the phone or do you send emails? Hey, sorry, or what do you do? Over the phone. In my first job, my staffing job, I learned never to hide behind an email. Um, right. So no breakups via email, no bad news over email. No I'll text. Follow up. No yeah. text. I'll get them on the phone. I'll email them saying, hey, I need to speak with you. They call me. I let them know exactly what's going on. And then I'll follow up via email and provide the roadmap of how to move forward. What's the single best change you made to your mortgage business in the last 12 months? So 12 months, 24 months, it's been ongoing, but primarily technology. I mean, lead management systems are huge. CRMs are huge for post-closing. LOS change, we upgraded our LOS, so we have more functionality with it. Mm -hmm. Um, But technology just, it increases our efficiencies more so. You still need employees. There's a big stigma out there that, hey, technology, the computer is going to replace my job in the near future. That's just not the case. This is a massive transaction. Consumers want to speak to human being. But the tech we've spent so much time building out and investing in, that's just going to increase the volume we can take on and our capacity Mm -hmm. overall. Right. 
You just become more efficient. Okay, that's yeah. cool, man. So what's a change you're planning in the next 90 days in your business? What's something you're kind of focusing on over the next quarter? Yeah, so growth for the company. So bringing on new agents, loan officers, mortgage brokers, honestly, whatever their title wants to Whatever be. your title is, wherever you are, because it's different yeah. in different places. Got so it. bringing on more branches, more agents to our team, coaching them up in the products they want to sell in, and really providing that support. I think we have the edge on technology thus far, at least our plan for it, that our agents can get a lot of benefits out of. So, you know, not just through the next 90 days. And is that just in Texas or where are you guys looking for people? I'm licensed in 26 states across the nation. There's, of course, very few states I'm not licensed in, but we're looking everywhere. Ideally, it would be great to start off with Texas just because, you know, it'd be nice to have them in my office. We can communicate a little better. But I haven't thought as far as to honestly where, because I'm licensed in all those states. So we have access. Okay. So um, if somebody's listening to this and they're like, hey, he sounds like a cool dude, how do they find you? Sal at instamortgage.com. That's my email. You can follow me on Instagram, sal.instamortgage. Websites, www.instamortgage.com. Fun fact, if you go to the contact us and try to just, you know, email the info page, it all comes to me anyways. I see every conversation, every communication. I'm Sal. I'm a mortgage guy. And I'd love to, you know, have that conversation and show you what we can do for you. Right. Okay. So there you go. If anybody's listening, you can reach out to Sal. So I'm going to ask some rapid fire questions. So what's one thing people can't find out about you from Google? Can't find out from Google uh, is I'm a huge conversation fanatic. I love to learn from conversations. I like to read, sure, all that fun stuff, but I really feel like my growth comes from the people I talk to. So I love to learn. I love to listen. Right. You should have a podcast. Yeah. It's just literally nothing but conversations. So <laughs> what's a movie everybody should watch at least once? Italian job, 100%. That's a good one. And then what's a software program or digital tool you couldn't run your business without? Ooh, I would say Encompass, my LOS. That's primarily, you know, the milestones are set up, automated emails are set up. It's coded specifically for the products I'm trying to do. And to supplement that, Surefire, my CRM that I use, we use a company called Qceleration, Zach Cusack. He's my guy. He got us set up with it. And my post-closing campaigns, my follow-ups, they're all there automatically. Happy birthday emails, check-ins. Sometimes I don't even know when email fires off. I get a response and the borrower is interested in buying the house. They're like, look at what I did. You didn't even yeah, do it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. What are your, your sort of expectation? We won't hold you to this, but what do you think is going to happen with rates in the next 12 months? So I think this rate cycle is extremely cyclical every three years. For example, 2018 to 2020, rates were pretty high. The 10-year was pretty far up. Sure enough, for the following two or three years, rates dipped to historic lows. So what I really see coming is the Fed rate hikes are already slightly baked in to what we're seeing on mortgage-backed securities. So I see rates increasing through the rest of this year, obviously with no decline. I see the middle of 2023 towards the end of 2023, where we'll see a bounce back. Mm -hmm. I think inflation will stabilize, and I think we'll see some relief in our interest rates, which of course creates another potential opportunity for products like the refi boom. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so remember the movie Back to the Future? Yeah, of course. So uh, everybody's seen that, right? So if I put you in the DeLorean and send you back to your first day as a mortgage broker and you could give yourself three pieces of advice, what would you tell yourself? Did you know that it wasn't supposed to be a DeLorean? I heard this. What did you hear? Like, I heard it was supposed to be like a cabinet or a Freezer is what I heard they were going to use. And they were like, kids are going to climb into freezers. That's what I had read somewhere. I, heard I was like, this exact same thing. That's really ironic. So if I were to tell myself when I first started, three things. Number yeah. one, don't be afraid to give bad news. Yeah. Uh, Number two, don't hide behind an email. Number three, hit the phones, man. You just started. Get out there. Get on the phone. Um, right. 
Give you yeah. that. So, hey, we already mentioned where people can find you. So if you're listening to this and you want to reach out to Sal, you can find him. We'll make sure we have the links in the show notes. Sal's been awesome to get to know you and keep crushing it, brother. Thank you, Scott. I look forward to meeting with other mortgage brokers. If you're listening in, talk soon. All right. Thanks again for checking out that conversation that I had with Sal. It's very interesting to see how he's had to pivot his business as, of course, rates and such change and how being focused on a niche was extremely profitable for him. In this upcoming conversation, I talked to Reuven from Deeded about why people only value things that they pay for. Hey, Reuven, welcome to Ask the Experts. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me again. So, hey, I'm excited to chat with you about this topic. And, you know, a lot of mortgage brokers always talk about it. It's not about rate. It's about the value and about understanding the mortgage product. And you have a company called Deeded, which is amazing. But you have a background. You're an entrepreneur. And you were telling me a story once about one of the products you had and how you realized that people didn't really value things that they didn't pay for. And can you share that? Because I think it highlights some of the ways we think in the mortgage business. Yeah, absolutely. So perhaps one of the biggest lessons learned in the last company that was running, and just to give some you know context, we had a tool that we were selling to uh, realtors at the time, and we were trying to market it. And our business model was basically getting realtors to add some of their clients to the service. And what we were hoping to do is to monetize, you know, some of the value from those clients that the realtors would have entered. So we decided to launch. And, you know, one of the first things that come to mind, especially when you sort of look at the industry and you say, well, what does Google cost? What does Facebook cost? And the answer is free. So we made it free. We made it free to the realtor community. I remember we did. They're like, this is going to be amazing. Everybody's going to be a path to our door. Exactly. And we decided to launch at a trade show, the largest real estate trade show in Ontario. We- can you actually just give a 30 seconds on what service you provided so people can understand, you know, the context of it? We were providing essentially like a moving concierge type of service for any home buyers, right? Moving kind of sucks. And you've got, you know, a lot of different things that you need to do, like to change your address and change your utilities and things like that. And get a moving and- truck. And so your revenue primarily was from those ancillary services, right? So there was Correct. like a- Correct, yeah, was like a- But we needed to acquire, we needed to get that homeowner, that home buyer or the home seller into our platform at the right time. Cause you've only got, you know, about, you know, 10 to 15 days to get them into the platform and for them to make some of those choices. Otherwise it's kind of futile. They're doing it on their own, right? So again, our idea at the time was let's get real estate agents involved. It's a value add for them. It's a value add for their clients. And we decided to- you know, go on a road show. And as I mentioned, it was one of the biggest trade shows for real estate. At the time, we scrounged around a couple desks that we bought earlier that day in Ikea and kind of made a little makeshift booth. And over the course of that show, I believe it was two or three days that we literally had a thousand people sign up, a thousand realtors sign up for our service. So there we are, high fives. We're, you know, this is- We're going to print money. Exactly. Like crazy. Of course, we go back to the office after the show and kind of watch the stats. And, you know, I think a very, very small percentage, maybe less than 1% of them, of the users that we've signed up ever engaged, like ever even logged in again. And so, you know, naturally started calling them and emailing and things like that. And most of them didn't even remember who we were, right? So we knew, like, look, there's something there with the free thing. And it just didn't work. The conclusion we came to is, they didn't see value. And we tried as a, the next show was coming up in a few weeks, we made it, you know, something a little more nominal. We made it five bucks or 10 bucks at the time a month. And of course, you know, again, got demand, you know, people signed up and saw a nice little uptick in activity when we went back to the office and saw engagement. All of a sudden, so you saw more people using the service when you charged $10 than when you gave it away for free. 
Exactly, exactly. And so we decided to say, well, you know, what if we increase it a little bit more? And we kept increasing and increasing and increasing, not because we arbitrarily wanted to increase the price, but we also were delivering a lot more value. And we saw, you know, the value that consumers were getting reviews and things like that. It was a really phenomenal product. And the more we increased it, the more adoption we got which was completely counterintuitive, right? You think that like you're going to give something away for free, you're going to get a huge uptick, you're going to get loyalty, you're going to get users, et cetera. But it was completely the opposite. We got a lot more engagement, a lot more users, a lot more interest in what we were doing the more we started charging. Right. So where did the price end up? Because you ended up selling that company, but where did the price end up and also have the highest engagement in terms of users? I don't think we've ever quite tested the elasticity, right? I think last it was maybe around 200 bucks a month or whatnot, but nonetheless, there's still a tremendous amount of value there. Yeah. That, you know, even whatever fee translates into an amazing return on investment. So you basically had a negative cost of acquisition because instead of having to spend money to get customers that you would have been glad to have, but the problem was, is that it's about the behavior. You were trying to drive a behavior of use the service right. and something they got for free, they didn't use. Right. It's human nature, but it's fascinating. And I think how that relates to the mortgage business is that's why we don't have zero down mortgages. That's why rent to owns really work. You know, that's why you need to get your client to pay for their own appraisal. If they put something out, they value it. Or if you're a mortgage broker and you fill out the application over the phone and they've done nothing, they don't even feel like they've even done. Even filling out the application is a small commitment of working with you, you know. And so when you told me that story, I was just like, that's so fascinating. It's the opposite of what most people think. So um, yeah. it's very interesting. And the other thing I think too, is like when it comes to price, because like we as mortgage brokers always say, it's not just about rate. Like there's a few people that make it about rate. And yet we to say to the client, hey, it's not about rate. But then when it comes to the closing, we try to save them 200 bucks, not even thinking about how the end experience could be a mess or be very stressful or slow or delayed. And so I think it's important that you have a good partner on the back end that's helping you, that's making sure the closing goes smooth. Any final thoughts on that? So any kind of entrepreneurial lessons for mortgage brokers? We can call yeah, this series no, so, now. So I think that what you just said, Scott, resonates really well. And I think, you know, a lot of times it's really counterintuitive to what you may hear in terms of that kid. Yeah, definitely. Every customer is going to be looking for the lowest rate, right? I don't know a single one that's not going to, you know, approach you in that sense. But also think about it from how do you turn that formula upside down? How do you get that consumer or your client invested in your process, invested in the level of service and the quality of service that you deliver? And that can really change the game. I mean, ultimately, you know, what I've learned just, you know, researching it further, it's like the concept of loss aversion is far mm -hmm. more powerful than the concept of like chasing an opportunity. Or right? gain, so yeah. Gain is not as exciting as loss aversion. Exactly. Like so loss, loss aversion, aversion is very motivating. Yeah, so loss aversion, if you think about, if you're trying to get into working out, most people, you know, will sign up to a gym around January, February, you, you have a certain monthly amount and that kind of motivates you to go to the gym, you know, at least a few times because, you know, you're paying for it. Whether you show up or not, the gym gets paid. And what we've seen a lot more people do lately is, you know, increase the stakes quite a bit because, you know, like gyms will sign people up January, February, and then March, April, May, like once a new year's resolution kind of wears off, that's when people stop going to the gym and the gym, you know, gets impacted by revenues. And, but what happens then is, you know, people are getting a trainer. So now you've got someone that, again, you're paying for that's sitting there at the gym at 8 a.m. waiting for someone to show up. And that again, creates that loss aversion, right? Creates that investment. And once somebody's invested in a process or invested in a service, the level of commitment's there, right? And we all know commitment is one of the secret ingredients to success is getting that commitment in alignment with your client.
Yeah, 100%. It's a fascinating example of just having people, you know, understanding human nature. So if you guys are listening to this, go check out Ruben's company, Dita.ca. You guys are growing like crazy. It's always fascinating to me that I've said you can know more about your pizza order. We don't know what's happening on the mortgage side, but you guys basically have all intents and purposes like a domino tracker for the closing process. Good communication, let clients know what's happening in the process. And my agents that have been using it absolutely love it. So check out Dita.ca. And Ruben, it's awesome chatting with you again, brother. Likewise, thanks for having me again, Scott. Thanks again for checking out this conversation that I had today with Sal and with Reuven. Hopefully you got some value from those conversations, some ideas to help you in your business. If you really want to grow your business, though, I'd encourage you to go check out 10loansamonth.com. That's the number 10loansamonth.com. We have an academy with some amazing coaches. They're all very successful mortgage brokers. And we only open it a few times a year. Get on the wait list. We'll let you know when it's open. Let you know who we have for coaches, what they have for availability. Check that out. And thanks again for checking out this episode. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.